Good morning, Grace. I'm glad you guys could be with, here with us on this beautiful spring, finally, day, right? It's not going to snow. It might as well be nice so you can go outside. And, but Doug and I were talking this morning about how the days are getting longer and how much I enjoy having that extra daylight. But um, just really look forward to things start blooming again and, and the trees to start to bud and fruits start growing. And that kind of ties into what I'm going to be talking about today. But glad you're here with us. We're going to continue on with our series on Romans. We're going to be in chapter 11 today in our Foundations of Peace. And today I'm going to be, uh, it's going to be kind of sporadic a little bit today because I'm going to be talking about it. See, there's, in chapter 11, you could probably make three or four sermons out of this. So I, don't, I only have like 30 to 45 minutes, so I don't have enough time to cover it all. Um, but there's a lot of stuff in here that will preach. And I'm just going to try to hit the highlights of it and, and hopefully... God will speak to you through it. But I'm going to be talking a lot about history. I'm going to be talking a little bit about science. And I'm going to talk to you about how that kind of ties in to us. And again, Romans 11 starts out talking about the Israelites, talking about the Jewish nation, talking about how they, were, they rose to power, and then they kind of fell because they did not believe. And eventually, God will restore his people. But we're going to be talking today about how we fit into that. How do we fit into that big picture? How do we fit into that story? Because, you know, most of the time, the only thing that we know about the religion of Judaism is they believe in God, but they really don't believe that Jesus was the Savior, right? Or we may see them in the news, and there's a lot of fighting over there. Or, you know, we just see them in the news a lot. But we, really not, we might not really know a lot about God's chosen people. And that's what we have to remember here. The Jewish nation, the people of Israel, are God's chosen people. And how does that tie into us? What are we going to get for, from it? I want to start off today with, with a personal story. Those of you who don't know me, I'm a, a coach middle school football. And before I coached middle school football, I coached elementary football at South Cumberland. In my very first year of coaching... My very first year of being a head coach, um, I had this, this student in sixth grade and just a raw, natural talent. Um, unbelievable talent this kid had. Um, you know, if he was six foot tall, you know, he'd probably still be playing sports on TV today. But, you know, God did not bless him with, with height. But he, he had just a, a raw ability. And it was almost envious in a way. But, but what the kid did not have was self-control. He had a temper. I mean, a bad temper. I remember we were out on the playground uh, one day, and, and him and his best buddy got into a fight. And, you know, his, his, his friend, his best buddy, was almost my height. And he had him down on the ground. I mean, just, and I had to run and pick him up. And so I just pick him up one arm. You know, I looked like I was Hercules, but I really wasn't because he was, he was tiny. And he was just, you know, still swinging and kicking, and I'm trying not to get kicked and hit. But this kid was so aggressive. I mean, they were playing kickball, right? But when it came time to playing sports, that kid, he flipped a switch. And it wasn't always pleasant. And I remember when I first coached, uh, people come up to me and I, I told them, yeah, this, this kid's on my, I'm not saying his name because he might be listening. But this, they, they would come up to me and be like, oh, he's on your team? Oh, oh. And be like, what? Oh, he's, I had him in youth center and 
or I had him in, in youth league, and oh, he's, he's, he's a lot to handle. And everybody that I talked to that had ties to this kid would come and warn me. I'm thinking, oh, goodness, what have, I, you know, what have I gotten myself into? So I finally realized that every game I would have to, I, I would know that I was going to be giving up 15 yards every game. It was given. This kid was going to get a 15-yard penalty every game. I'm not exaggerating. Every game he got flagged. He got penalized for unsportsmanlike conduct, yelling to the refs, or both, right? He, I mean, he just, he was that competitive, but he had no self-control. And I would have to bring him to the sideline and talk to him and try to calm him down. And eventually he would get calm enough, you know, I'd let him go back out there. And, you know, the, after then the refs would be like, you know, if he even looked at him weird, you know, they were going to flag him again. In this one game, you know, it was a really close game. And, uh, and he, he got tackled. I mean, it was, it was, it was kind of ugly. I mean, it was a face mask and, and he didn't handle it very well. And I think he said something to the refs, and he said something to the kid that tackled him, something that an a eighth grader should never say. And so they, they, you know, I had to go out there and get him. And, and this time, instead of just taking him to the sideline, I made someone escort him to the locker room. I had to take my best player and basically bench him, send him to the locker room. I mean, you're, I wouldn't even let him be on the sideline, Right. And that's kind of what we're dealing with with the nation of Israel right here, the Jewish nation. It's they at one time were God's chosen people, and now they're kind of benched because they are not accepting the gospel. But there are a few that did, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. That's the, what Paul is going to be speaking to us about today in, in chapter 11. But God is not through with his chosen people. They're just benched on the sideline. They're just waiting to be put back into the game. And the scripture tells us that one day he will restore Israel. All the nation of Israel will be saved. Now, I don't know if that's all individual people. You can ask Brother Dennis about that. But I'm not going to get into all that today. But I do know that it will be restored. They will be put back into the game. But see, because that one player on my team was benched, one other player or two other players actually got an opportunity that they didn't have before, right? They got a little bit of playing time, and I got to see something that I hadn't seen out of them in practice. And so it was something good. They benefited from it. I benefited from it, right? And Paul's telling us right here, we are going to benefit from the benching of the Jewish nation. How? They had an opportunity. See, us as Gentiles, because that's who we are, right? But we get an opportunity that we didn't have before through this fallen of the Jews. And before I start reading, I want to point out, if we didn't already know, that Paul was Jewish, right? Jesus' mom was Jewish. Most of the people that wrote this Bible were Jewish. So our founding fathers of our faith, our faith itself is, is rooted and based in Judaism, Right? They're, they're our ancestors. They're our God's chosen people. And that should light a fire inside of us because a lot of times we just forget about the Jews. We just cast them off because they don't believe in our Savior. But that's not what the Bible is telling us to do. And that's what we're going to tie in today. Verses 1 through 7 in chapter 11. It says, I ask then, has God rejected his own people, the nation of Israel, 
Of course not. I, myself, am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham and a member of the tribe, tribe of Benjamin. And see, what he's saying right here is Paul's Jewish, and not only is he Jewish, he's varsity, right? He's varsity. He knows what he's doing because he was once Saul, right? He knew everything about the law and how to follow it. But Paul's varsity. No, God has not rejected his own people, whom he chose from the very beginning. Do you realize that the scriptures say about this? Elijah the prophet complained to God about the people of Israel and said, and this is in 1 Kings, and, and he's in a battle right now, and, and you know, Elijah, he's, he's not having a very good time right now. And so when he's talking to the Lord here, I like to think that he's using kind of like a whiny kid voice, right? So it, no, things are not going good for him. But Elijah the prophet complained to God about the people of Israel and said, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. But God's reply to that was, no, I have 7,000 others who have never bowed down to Baal. It is the same day, same today for a few of the people of Israel. They have remained faithful because of God's grace and his undeserved kindness in choosing them. And since it is through God's kindness, then it is not by their good works. For in that case, God's grace would not be what it really is, free and undeserved. So this is the situation. Most of the people of Israel have not found favor of God they were looking for so earnestly. If you have the ones God has chosen, but the hearts of the rest were hardened. The rest of the hearts were hardened. God's saying, I still have a remnant. I still have a few that have never bowed down to Baal. I still have a few that trust in me. So that's what we've been talking about today. But see, the people of Israel are kind of like, we're kind of like they are. See, they, they had a problem with accepting who Christ is and what he'd done for them. They were just relying on their good works and keeping the law, and they thought that that was good enough, right? They're relying on being good enough. They've had the mentality that we have so many times that I've got this. I don't need a Savior. I'm keeping the law. I'm good. I'm doing everything. I'm following all the rules. And see, some of you are here today, and you're, you have that same mentality. You're struggling with that same issue. You're, you're struggling because you, you're trying to do everything good. You're trying to be as good as you can, and it's not working out. Or you might be sitting here today, and you think that you're doing all the right things, and that's good enough. But see, here's the thing. I'm not good enough. You're not good enough. See, none of us are good enough. See, without God's grace, without it being a free gift, grace would not be grace. And see, we like to compare ourselves from time to time, right? We see someone on the news or we hear about something. Well, I'm, I'm better than that guy, right? I didn't do that. I never did that when I was little, right? We compare ourselves, right? Compare yourselves to what? You're good compared to who? When you really think about it, when you really dig down deep, you're no better than anyone else. You might not have a record that someone else has, but that doesn't really make you any better. We like to compare ourselves. Again, verse 6. And since it is through God's kindness, then it's not by their good works. For in that case, God's grace would not be what it is. Free and undeserved. Free and undeserved. See, God's grace is free and undeserved. 
See, no one is too bad for God to save. If you're sitting in this room today and you don't know him as your Savior, you are not too bad for him to save. You are not too bad for him to use. And Paul here, he kind of has like a Davy Crockett moment, starting in verse 11. If you don't know anything about Davy Crockett, he's like one of Tennessee pioneermen. He was one of our uh, government leaders at a time. So when Tennessee was first a state, you know, he was a big part of that, right? We heard stories about him killing a bear and all that stuff. I don't know if that's true or not, but he was, he was a Tennessee hero, right? And without David Crockett, they probably wouldn't even be at Texas and, and the rest of the volunteers. But, you know, David Crockett once said that, you know, he kind of got mad at the Tennessee government, and, and there's a lot more to it than that. But, and he said a lot more that I can't say up here. And he's like, I'm done with you. I'm going to Texas, right? So that Paul is having that same moment here. In Acts chapter 8, verse 6, he says, But when they opposed and insulted him, Paul shook the dust from his clothes and said, some versions say he tore off his clothes. So in other words, he was mad. Your blood is upon your own hands. I am innocent. From now on, I will go and preach to the Gentiles. Right? So there's this David Crockett moment. I'm done with you. You're not listening. You're not getting it. I'm going to preach to the Gentiles. And see, this is where it's good news for you and me. Because the people of Israel, their hearts were hardened. The apostles were able to turn their attention to the Gentiles. They were able to turn their attention and bring the gospel to us and to the ends of the earth. So we are benefiting from this benching. We have an opportunity that we didn't have before. See, because Paul and the apostles, they were rejected time and time again in the Jewish synagogues. Their message of salvation, their message of Christ and what he did on the cross for us spread to the ends of the earth. See, God used Israel's rejection. He used Israel's fall, the fall of his own chosen people to bring to us his gift of salvation, his gift of grace. It was just part of his plan all along. Today's title is being, that's not it. I'm not doing the hokey pokey. I don't even know what that looks like anymore. Do I need to go back? The back button's not working, Jessica. Ah, there we are. Grafted in the grace, not the hokey pokey. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know what that is now. Really am. But today's title is Grafted into Grace. Okay, and we'll get into that in just a minute, but the first thing I want to ask you before we read 13 through 15 is, the question is, are they jealous? Are they jealous? And let's read verses 13 through 15. It says, I'm saying all this, especially for you Gentiles. God has appointed me as an apostle to the Gentiles. I stress this for what I want somehow to make the people of Israel jealous of what you Gentiles have, so I might save some of them. For since the rejection meant that God offered salvation to the rest of the world, their acceptance will be even more wonderful. It will be life for those who were dead. It will be life for those who were dead. Now, I used to think that jealousy was a bad thing, and I guess most of the time it is, but the Bible tells us that, that God is a jealous God, so I guess, in a way, there's certain different types and 
levels of jealousy. But when I think about jealousy, I think of kids, right? You know, we were born being jealous, right? They come out and they're like, mine, 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 like the, like the seagulls on Finding Nemo, right? They just want everything. We're, we're no different, right? It's like a kid that has a certain toy and they've not played with it in a year. And then someone comes over and they touch that toy and all of a sudden it's their favorite toy again, right? They don't want anybody to play with it. It's their toy. It's like birthday parties. I, I hate seeing kids at a birthday party. You know, the, the one kid's so happy, right, because they're getting all these presents, and all the other little kids are just like, oh, where's my present, right? And that's the way we all are if we really think about it. You know, Carson's last birthday, I thought it was kind of cool that, you know, he was going through everything so fast, he let, every, you know, other people open his presents, and he didn't care. I thought, wow, that's, that's pretty good. But, but he's not perfect, right? My little boy, I love him to death. One time, our nephew, Bront, was going to be coming over and spend the night. And I, saw, I was sitting there, and I was watching TV, and all of a sudden, he comes through with a toy. And I'm like, what's he doing? And then he comes back through with no toy. And then he comes back through and goes to a different room and comes out with no toy. I'm like, what? I said, what are you doing? And he was putting toys in my bedroom. He was putting toys in the spare bedroom. He was hiding toys. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, well, these are, are my new toys. And I don't want Bryant to break them. In other words, what he was saying is, these are my new good toys, and I don't want him touching them. Right? We get jealous all the time. And see, we don't outgrow it. We just get better at it. Right? Let's just be honest. We don't outgrow jealousy. We just get better at it. We get more advanced in our jealousy. Like watching HGTV, right? Okay? You watch that show? And watching people flip houses and, and, and make their houses better, you, you want that. You want that. Cars, money, whatever it is. It's like when I go to uh, Roger and Teresa's house, and you know, I walk in, their ceilings are like endless, right? And I'm like, man, I'd love to have 12-foot ceilings. I only have 8-foot ceilings. And then I go to my own house, and I go in, it's like, wow, I didn't realize I lived in a cave, right? There's nothing wrong with my ceilings, right? 8-foot is plenty. I'm not that tall, but I want what someone else has, right? And we do that. We do that. And see, this is the wrong kind of jealousy. This is not the kind of jealousy that Paul is talking about here. What Paul is trying to tell us is, is that when people see us, when we have Christ in our lives, when we have Christ as our Savior, we need to be living as though that people see him through us. So, the way we live, the way we act, the way we speak, our day-to-day -day actions. And see, I struggled a lot with this this week because I'm not always like this. I'm not always the type of person that would make others jealous, like Paul is saying here. Paul's telling us that I want my people to see Christ through you so much that they are envious of what you guys have, and they'll want it too. And that's what Paul's telling us. We have a gift. We have something that we can give them, but he wants us to make it to where those people, the people you work with, the people we go to school with, the people that you see on a day-to-day -day basis, that they are jealous and envious of what you have and who you have. So I struggle with that because I struggle with that. You know, I, this week was... 
As I was preparing for the sermon, I could come across a story about a soldier in battle. And the soldier, he was wounded. And they were, they were under attack, and, and they, all, the, all the troops had to fall back and retreat. And this wounded guy was left behind, and the chaplain went above and beyond the call of duty and, and risked his life to go out to the battlefield to this wounded soldier. And it was in the heat of the day, and he gave him his canteen and gave him some water to drink. And I was just showing him a little bit of compassion, a little bit of kindness. And when darkness fell, because you know, they still couldn't move without being seen, so he took his, his coat and his outer shirt and wrapped the soldier in it so he would not be cold in the cool of the night. And the wounded soldier, you know, being grateful, he looked up at the chaplain and said, are you a Christian? And of course, the chaplain said, yes, I'm a Christian. And so the soldier replied, if Christianity makes a man do what you did for me, I want that. That's what I want. To make someone do what you just done for me, that's what I want. And see, it wasn't, it wasn't anything big that that chaplain provided. It was just a little bit of compassion. It was a little bit of kindness. And he saw that. He was jealous enough to want what we, he had. And that's what Paul's telling us. Make my nation, make my people, make God's people jealous of what you have. We need to go out of here and make people jealous, not about the things that we have, but about who we have. Are they jealous? Are we making people jealous? Does the way we live drive people to jealousy? Do they want what we have, or does it drive people away? So the gift of salvation through Christ is life from the dead. You know, there's a lot of different bads, right? We all have different level of bads. This is bad, that's bad, he's bad, you're bad, I'm bad. But see, there's only one dead, right? There's only one dead. Christ is life from that dead. Paul's saying here, how great would it be for the people of Israel, my people, God's chosen people, to become believers, to receive Christ. How awesome would they be? They would be like the all-stars of Christianity. I mean, let's just face it. Not only would they know all the law, not all would they have these scriptures memorized, but they're, they're our ancestors, and that would make them like Christian superstars. They would spread the gospel like wildfire, and that's actually part of God's plan. See, C.S. Lewis, the author, put it once like this. In a sense, the converted Jew is the only normal human being in the world. Everyone else is, a, from one point of view, a special case. You and I are a special case. Dealt with under emergency conditions. We got in, as it were, through a back door because Israel erred and was on the bench. Right? They opened up a door for us. The gospel was given to us. All we have to do is walk through that door. And Christ is that door. And so I love Paul's next illustration. And this is our science lesson for today. And our title is Grafted in Grace. And see, without getting too detailed, I'm sure there's some in here that know more about it than I do, but grafting is a process where a scientist or, or a fruit grower will take a cultivated young tree, which cultivated means it's, it's farmed, so they know exactly what they want. So if Talking about an apple tree and a certain kind of apple. You know, they've got an apple tree that's really producing really red and 
juicy, good apples, right? So it takes a long time for that young tree to mature enough to produce fruit. So what they'll do is they'll cut a shoot off of that young tree, like a limb, and they'll cut a V-notch, usually there's other ways, but they'll cut a V-notch out of a mature stump or a mature tree that's had a, a limb cut off because it has a good root system. The roots are still powerful enough and good enough to produce fruit. The tree might be too old. The limbs may be, you know, wilting away, but the root system itself and the trunk is good enough. It still has good stock. So what they'll do is they'll take that branch and they'll place it in that slot. And so what they have to do is they have to line up the xylem and the phloem. If you know what that is, that's kind of like the, the veins and the arteries that we have in our bodies that takes the blood to and from our heart. So the xylem and the phloem, and the phloem I'm sorry, takes the water and the nutrients to and from the fruit, to and from the limb, between the roots and the limb, right? And that's just the gist of it. But what Paul's going to say here, he's comparing that to us. We have been grafted in. There's something amazing about that. There's something amazing about that. Verse 16. And since Abraham and other patriarchs were holy, their descendants will also be holy. Just as the entire batch of dough is holy, because a portion given as an offering is holy. For if the roots of the tree are holy, the branches will be too. But some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel, have been broken off. And you Gentiles, you and me, were branches from a wild olive tree. So we move from apple tree to olive tree, but same difference. But you must not brag about being grafted in to replace the branches that were broken off. You are just a branch, not the root. Well, you may say, those branches were broken off to make room for me. Yes, but remember, those branches were broken off because they did not believe in Christ. And you are there because you do believe. So don't think highly of yourself, but fear what could happen. For if God did not spare the original branches, he won't spare you either. Notice how God is both kind and severe. He is severe to those who disobeyed, but kind to you if you continue to trust in his kindness. But if you stop trusting, you will also be cut off. And if the people of Israel turn from their unbelief, they will be grafted in again. For God has the power to graft them back into the tree. You, by nature, were a branch cut from a wild olive tree. So if God was willing to do something contrary to nature... By grafting you into its cultivated tree, then he, then he will far more be eager to graft the original branches back into the tree where they belong. So what we see from this text, is we've been talking about grafting, taking a cultivated shoot and having it produce fruit, putting it in good stock. Jesus and God are talking about something totally different here. Right? What he's talking about is unnatural. This grafting that he's talking about is unnatural. We are a dead stick. We are not producing any fruit. We are a wild olive branch. We have no business being grafted into that tree. But God loved us enough. He gave us a way to be grafted into him. And that's what Paul's telling us here. We have been grafted in grace. It's an unnatural process. We were wild. We were, we were once lost, right? But we were found and we've been grafted in. We have been rooted in. 
we have been tapped into the life-giving power that Christ provides for us. That's that's an amazing representation of of the life-giving power of God and us being connected to God through Christ. Because without Him, if we're not connected in Christ, we're dead sticks. We're fire kindling. We're useless. The only thing we're good for is starting a campfire. And see, there's six lessons that I want to get from this, that I want us to, to take in and learn from this scripture that we just read together. The first is there is only one people of God. There's only one people of God. And see, some of us struggle with this. See, there's not Jewish believers and Gentile believers. They're just believers. There's not Baptist believers and Presbyterian believers and, and non-denominational believers. We're just believers. All that other stuff is just religion, stuff that rules that we make up as we go. But see, when we come to Christ, our nationalities are no longer significant. Our, our color of our skin doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is that we belong to Christ, that if we belong to Jesus. See, as Christians, we, we, we try everything in the world to be divided over all kinds of things. The music that we sing before church, instruments or no instruments, right? Uh, the Bibles that we use, NLT, NIV, King James Version, that's the only one you should ever use, right? I mean, we do this. We have these. We have these divisions that, that we create. We baptize with just a little sprinkling of water, or do we hold them, dunk them down and hold them just a little bit longer, right? We, that's just things that we, we separate ourselves. Those are Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, Independent, dozens of variations of each. But see, we're all one body. We should not be coming up with ways to divide that body. See, here's the thing that Paul's trying to tell us right here. There may be different branches. See, we're all different branches in here. We, we're all coming from different backgrounds. That's one of the cool things about grace. One of the things about grace I love is all of our different backgrounds. But we come together because we realize that we're one family. We're all in one family in Christ. See, we're, we're all different branches. We're all branched out from this tree, but see, there's only one root and there's only one vine. And we're all connected to that. We cannot forget about that because the, the power and our nourishment comes from the root and the vine, not the branches. We just benefit from it. There's only one people of God. We share a common heritage with everybody that puts his or her faith in Christ. These people are our brothers and sisters. It shouldn't matter where they're from, what party they vote for, what they look like, where they're from, what team they're rooting for in March Madness. And if you're looking on your phone right now, it better be the Bible scripture, and, and, or if it is, you let me know the score, okay? Anyway, but this one thing I love about grace is the diversity. We have everything here from recovering addicts and alcoholics to to recovering anything. You name it. We've been there. You've been there. And we all come together and we we share in our pain. We we share in our suffering, but we also share in our joy. And that's what the church should be. It shouldn't be divisions. It should be one body coming together together. And knowing that we are one body in Christ. There's many branches, but only one vine. There's many branches, but only one root system. These people are our brothers and sisters. The Israelites, the Jewish nation, those are our brothers and sisters. 
It's one thing that we should be praying for is that they come to Christ. But that's one thing that we can take hold of and know for a fact that one day, I don't know when, God's going to restore his people. He's going to save his people. Man, what an awesome, I don't even know if we'll be here then, but what an awesome thing that's going to be for his people to turn to him. See, we're grafted into his family with all the other branches. We're tapped into the same root. But since we are one people, and since we are grafted in to God's family, the second thing is we're expected to produce fruit. We're expected to produce fruit. See, when we're grafted in and we accept Christ, and we accept that free gift of salvation, there should be a change in the way we talk, the way we live, the way we act. Now, this is not an overnight thing, right? But we should produce fruit. The Bible tells us the, Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, kindness, joy, peace, gentleness, self-control. Whew, big one, right? See, these are character issues, right? These are things that we have to work on. We've been talking a lot about justification, justified never sin, but there's also sanctification, right? And that's an ongoing process. The fruit of the Spirit. We're not going to just be grafted in and boom, we're, we're throwing apples and grapes and olives everywhere, right? That's just not the way it works, right? It's a, it's a process about producing fruit. It doesn't happen overnight. Character issues. See, when you receive Christ, he begins to change you from the inside, and you begin to change. We begin to think different, act different, talk different. We begin to do the things that God is calling us to do. And everyone goes at a different pace, but eventually you know that, that you have a change in you. And see, people should see that through us. They should be jealous of that. They should be jealous of what they see. So think of it this way. God being the roots, Christ is the vine or the tree trunk that carries all the nutrients. And we are tapped into that. We are drafted into that. Because see, Jesus made a way for us to get to the Father, right? The root is the provider and Christ is our Savior that we are grafted into. We are grafted in his family. Without him, we're just dead sticks. We're fire kindling. Are you connected to him today? Are you grafted in? Have you received him as your Savior? Are you producing fruit? See, sometimes when you have a tree or, or a plant, you prune it, right? And I know that I had a weeping willow tree, and I thought I'd be you know, cool to just to snip, snip here and there and, and make it smaller. Well, next spring, it, right? It grows up bigger and better. And see, that's what God's telling us here, that he will take his shears and he's going to prune some stuff off of us that does not look like him so we can be bigger and produce better fruit for him. Sometimes that pruning can be painful. There's some things in our lives that we have to give up. There's, there's things in our lives that we have to change in order to produce his fruit. But it's a process. It does not happen overnight. Sanctification. The third thing we want to get from this text is that only God's grace can save us. Only God's grace can save us. Our works can never do it. And see, that's the problem that the, that the Israelites were hung up on. They thought about just keeping the law, following the rules, that that would be good enough. That they didn't accept the Messiah. 
See, keeping the law itself cannot save us. It might can make you a better person. But see, being good can never save you. Going to church every Sunday can never save you. Talking to people about God and merely not believing in Him will not save you. I heard it said like this, going to church every Sunday doesn't make you a Christian any more than sticking your head in the oven makes you a biscuit. Right? It's true. It's true. When I said that first over this morning, my, my stomach started growling. But see, any religion that says do these things, act this way, and you'll be saved is false gospel. It's false gospel. We are made right with God only when we trust in his free gift of grace. Otherwise, grace would not even be grace. We are made right with him only when we put trust in his son through his grace. When we're grafted into the vine, when we're grafted into the trunk, when we're grafted into the part that provides the nutrients that we need to produce fruit, to have life sustaining, to not be dead sticks, but sticks that are branches that are alive and producing fruit. Only God can do that. Our works cannot do that. It'll never happen. We're only made right with God when we accept his gift of salvation. and It's free. It doesn't cost you anything to be grafted in, but it costs his son everything. The fourth thing is you're not too far gone. And this is really going to hit the heart with some of you in here today because you feel that you are too far gone. You may be listening today and thinking, you don't know the bad things that I've done. You don't know where I've been. Or you don't know what my son is doing. You don't know what my daughter is doing. You don't know how bad they've been. You don't know. They're too far gone. They are not too far gone. Paul is telling us that God's chosen people, the Israelites, they are not too far gone. They can be grafted back in again. So can you. So can that loved one that you've been praying for for years. So can that son or daughter that you've been praying for for years. They, too, can be grafted back in. They are not too far gone. You may say, well, you don't, you don't know my sin. Guys, listen, you think God is not big enough for your sin? You think your sin is bigger than God? Your sin is like a flea on the butt of an elephant, right? And he can just flick it off. Okay, keep that imagery in your head all day. Right? It's not too big. Your sin is not too big for our Heavenly Father. See, sanctification is a process. It's ongoing. See, God's not through with you. God's not through with your loved one. God's not through with who you're praying for. God's not through with you either. And he's not through with the Jews. He's not through with you. You are not too far gone. The fifth thing is we're to be humble. My football player, he was a great athlete. He wasn't very humble, right? He knew it. And see, sometimes we can be the same way. I can be the same way. Not very humble. See, what Paul's telling us here is we need to be humble. We need to humble ourselves. We, don't, we can't brag about God grafting us in. We didn't do anything to deserve that. Your works did not, God's like, yep, I'm grafting you in, you're good. That's not the way it works. Our works can never save us. Our works, our good deeds can never graft us back in. 
It's only through his grace that we're grafted back in. See, Ephesians 2 and 9 says it like this. Sums it up really, really well. For it is by grace that you have been saved. Through faith and this, not yourselves, not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You can't boast about it. You can tell others about it. Others can see it through you, which they should, but you can't boast about it because it's not about anything about what you've done. It's about what he's done for you. So we can't brag about it. We can't go out of here and, and have our noses up in the air or turn the other way because that's the opposite of what God's wanting us to do. He wants us to be humble. See, we don't deserve any of the blessings that he gives us. We don't deserve to be grafted in. See, he wants us to show compassion to others, not look down on them. And I think this is something that we can all say that we've struggled with at one point or another. That At least I'm not as bad as that guy, right? That's not being humble. See, we're supported by the root. See, the root itself and the vine can survive without the branches. But see, the branches are dependent on that root and vine, right? We are nothing. We're just, we're just the limbs. The root and the vine is what provides. That's the living. It's not about what we've done. It's about what he's done. He can survive without us, but he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to go on without his chosen people. He doesn't want to go on without you. And the sixth thing is God's mercy is for everyone. This is the good news. His mercy is for everyone. See, the gospel is like this. Grace is getting the things that we don't deserve. That's grace, getting the things we don't deserve. Mercy, on the other hand, is not getting the things we do deserve. He provides that mercy for us. He provides that mercy for everyone, including the Israelites, including the loved one you're praying for. It's for everyone. It's for everyone. Verses 28 through 32. Many of the people of Israel are now enemies of the good news. And this benefits you Gentiles. Yet there are still the people he loves because he chose their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. Once you Gentiles were rebels against God. But when the people of Israel rebelled against him, God was merciful to you instead. Now they are rebels and God's mercy has come to you so that they too will share in God's mercy. For God has imprisoned everyone in disobedience so he could have mercy on everyone. It's a gift that he gives everyone. The people that you think you're better than them, it's for them as well. The people that you will think will never step foot in church or never accept Christ or never will be a believer, it is for them. God's grace is for everyone, every nationality, every color of skin, every religious background. They can be grafted in. 
they can be grafted in. If you close your eyes and bow your heads in closing. So when God looks down, he doesn't see your nationality. He doesn't see your religious background. He doesn't see the mistakes that you've made, your failures, your faults. The only thing that he sees is that you are grafted into his son. His grace is a free gift, but it costs his son everything. Grace is when we get what we don't deserve, and mercy is when we don't get what we do deserve. That's the heart of the gospel. You can receive that today. Today, you can be grafted in. You may be sitting here today and you're a dead stick. You might not be producing fruit, but you can be grafted in. All you have to do is ask Him. It's a free gift. It's not about anything that, that you've done or you haven't done. Just ask Him to come in your life. Ask Him to be grafted in, to become your Savior. And live for Him. You can receive that today. Today you can be grafted into His family. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this message that you've given us, Lord. Thank you for speaking through our hearts. Lord, I just pray you lift every heart in this room up to you, Lord, that if there's anything that anyone's dealing with, that, Lord, you just send down your comforting spirit. Lord, just allow us to go out of here to produce fruit, to make people envious of what you have done for us, that people will see you through us, that people will be changed and moved and motivated to have what we have because of you. Not of what we've done, not about the way we are, but they see you through us and they want it. We ask you that you just give us that power. Lord, I just pray that there's one person here that's not crafted in your family. Lord, today is the day that they say, I want to be a part of your family. I want to be grafted into your life-giving power. I want to produce fruit. Lord, just let us produce good fruit for you. Without fruit, we're just useless branches. Lord, just thank you for what you did for us. Thank you for making the way for the Father. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Before I, I dismiss you guys and, and send you out of here, uh, Pete in first service gave me this, and he wanted me to pass. It, he wanted me to read it and pass it on to Brother Dennis, and and I asked him. I kind of commandeered it and, and said, "I'm I'm going to use this today in my sermon because it ties in so beautifully, and uh, and also ties in next week because next week we're going to take part in communion, and uh, so excited about that. But I'm going to read this in closing. This is a wonderful true story, so worth to read, an example of our Christian heritage worth remembering and sharing with the world. The moon and God. What was the first liquid and food consumed on the moon? I'm betting most are unaware of this story. On July 20th, 1969, two human beings changed history by walking on the surface of the moon. But what happened before Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong exited, exited the lunar module is perhaps even more amazing if only because a few people knew about it. 
talking about the fact that Buzz Aldrin took communion on the surface of the moon. Some months after his return, he wrote about it in Guidepost magazine. The background story is that Aldrin was an elder in his Presbyterian church in Texas during this period of his life, and knowing that he would soon be doing something unprecedented in human history. He felt that he should do something to mark the occasion somehow. He asked his minister to help him, and so the minister consecrated a communion wafer and a small vial of communion wine. But as Aldrin took them with him out of the Earth's orbit and onto the surface of the moon, he and Armstrong only had been on the lunar module surface for a few minutes when Aldrin made the following public statement. This is the LM pilot. I'd like to take this opportunity to ask every person listening in, whoever and wherever you are, to pause for a moment and contemplate the events of these past few hours and to give thanks in his or own her way. Then he ended the radio communication and there on the silent surface of the moon, some 250,000 odd miles away, he read a verse from the Gospel of John. Verses that I was gonna to read to you today, but I didn't have to. He took communion. Hear his account of what happened. In the radio blackout, I opened the little plastic packages which contained the bread and wine. I poured the wine into the chalice of a church, church had given me. And the one sixth gravity of the moon, the wine slowly curled and gracefully came up inside of the cup. Then I read the scripture. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whosoever abides in me will bring forth much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I had intended to read my communion message back to earth, but at last minute, they requested that I do not do this. NASA was already embroiled in a legal battle with Madeline Murray O'Hare, the celebrated opponent of religion, over Apollo 8's crew reading from Genesis while orbiting the moon at Christmas. I agreed reluctantly. I ate the tiny toast and swallowed the wine. I gave thanks for the intelligence and the spirit that brought two young pilots to the Sea of Tranquility. It was interesting for me to think that the very first liquid ever poured on the moon and the very first food eaten there were communion elements. And of course, it's interesting to think that some of the first words spoken on the moon were the words of Christ who made the earth and the moon and who, in the immortal words of Dante, is himself the love that moves the sun and the other stars. He is the life-giving vine. We are just the branches. Go out and produce fruit. Share with others the gospel. Share with others that life-giving fruit that He's given you. Let them be jealous of what you have, not about what you've done or what you material possessions you have let them be jealous of Christ and what he's done in your life and what he's done in our lives we love you and we thank you if you'd like to give this ministry and give the offering boxes in the back go out and enjoy this wonderful warm spring afternoon we love you and we thank you